I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. Undoubtedly, over the past several weeks, you've received countless emails from services ranging from Spotify to that restaurant in Ashburn, Virginia, whose app you once downloaded to get 10% off their late night delivery, updating you on their new privacy policy. This was due to a little regulation recently passed into law by the EU called GDPR, or General Data Protection Regulation. It can be easy to get lost in the conversation about privacy, but it is an important conversation to have. In fact, it is extremely relevant to our everyday lives. In a time when your every step is recorded through your phone's GPS and your voice is recorded by smart speakers or even your phone's microphone, the question of who's looking after our privacy becomes more crucial than ever. Luckily for us, we have with us today Jules Polonetsky, the go-to guy when it comes to privacy. He is the CEO of the Future Privacy Forum, a non-for-profit think tank based in D.C. that helps hundreds of companies by consulting with them on their privacy policies. The forum is supported by AT&T, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and many other corporations and foundations. Before his work at the Forum, Jules served on boards of numerous privacy and consumer protection organizations, and he's a regular speaker at privacy and technology events. He joins us today to help us try to understand if there's anything left of our privacy. This podcast is made in collaboration with The Jewish Journal. Thank you, Jules, for joining us. How are you? Great to be with you guys. It does seem like privacy and data protection issues, which were once something for sort of geeks or lawyers or tech insiders. Uh, it's now evening news. It's what did Facebook do? What is Instagram doing? Uh, what is Alexa tracking? Um, so it's been interesting having worked in this area for about 20 years to see it go from sort of a kind of a geeky issue. Uh, do you really have any privacy to, you know, the nightly newscasts with people wondering uh, and debating what the right rules are? Yeah, Why is it that? Sorry. No, it's it, it's just funny that like w- once it was. I mean, r- now it's like your your the the struggles that you know the elderly have with technology is like dealing with phones and computers. In the future, it's like we're gonna have to know HTML to understand anything. And I'm wondering how fast it's progressing. But can, let's first maybe dive into what that actual regulation was and what these emails were all about and what people were receiving. You know, the Europeans have had a broader view of data protection as a human right than the U.S., than many other countries. They've taken seriously for a long time. Maybe it's because of the Holocaust era and databases that were used to track Again with the Holocaust. It always comes back to the Holocaust. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's because just the social compact in uh, in Europe is a bit different. The government plays a stronger role. You know, you look at uh, U.S. companies, winner take all, lay off that division. It's not doing well, you know, compete and dominate and uh, you get laid off. You might not have insurance and you might go hungry uh, and then it doesn't matter. You just start another startup, right? That entire sort of aggressive compete culture clashes a little bit with some of the European uh, mentality where there's a social compact. uh, Companies can compete, but the government might own part of your company if it's uh, a large company, a, a telco, a bank. And so they've always had a much heavier hand. But the reality is, they didn't aggressively enforce the data protection law they had. And they decided to get serious. They passed this 
general data protection regulation, and they put in massive penalties, up to, in the worst cases, 4% of a company's global revenue. So if you were doing business in Europe under the previous law and you weren't maybe seriously complying, there were risks, but the data regulators were not in any way able to dun you 4% of your global revenue. Well, that got everybody's attention. Uh, and so this law suddenly has driven companies around the world to actually try to get their acts in order. But I don't live in Europe, so why do I get these notifications? Any company, Europeans uh, recognize that Uh, lots of companies serve Europe. There are companies in the U.S., there are companies in Israel that serve Europeans. You sell products, you may be advertised to them. And so the law says that if you're a company anywhere in the world and you offer your products now, or you monitor, so let's say I'm an ad network based anywhere in the world, but when I see people from Europe, I give them an ad in French or I have uh, French customers mm -hmm. uh, or I even sell something in euros. So it, you could say... I'm blocking Europeans, I don't care about you guys, I'm doing business just in my country, in which case it doesn't matter. But if you are targeting Europeans, if you are tracking Europeans, you're covered by the law. And so some people are very surprised by that. But I got to tell you, if you run an ongoing gambling site and you... Which I do. And you, if you're offering, you know, your games to Americans and encouraging Americans and, you know, taking payments in dollars and so forth. The FBI is going to catch you somewhere and believes that even though you're not based in the U.S., you're offering gambling services. So it's not some people are like outraged. How dare the Europeans do this? Well, many countries around the world, if you're targeting and offering and doing business with their users, no matter where you are, Now, look, they may not be able to find But you. But that doesn't answer my question. Uh, I'm sorry, because, okay, but why do the companies apply these laws on me? Why don't they just apply it on citizens of the EU? In fact, they don't need to. And exactly. So why do they? Because some of them have no clue who... <laughs> and here's the big secret. Many companies have not done a very good job at organizing, segregating, and understanding their data. You would think that it's in their business interest to do so, but what actually ends up happening, I was the chief privacy officer before I started the Future Privacy Forum um, at AOL, at DoubleClick, which is now part of Google. It's amazing what happens. Uh, somebody has a new idea. Hey, we should market to this segment. And so instead of saying, look, we've got our data all organized, let's now uh, build some service around. So great, no, let's take another set of our database and send it to this marketing company and ask them to do it for us. So the next thing you know, Companies have data everywhere, and they don't know where it is. And some of it lives with their ad agency, and some of it lives in the marketing department. And then the CIO has his own systems. And so simply saying, like, hey, can we make sure that our European customers will treat under the European data protection law, and everybody else will continue doing what we're doing? Now, that's what sophisticated companies did. But lots of companies realized, oh, my God, I actually don't know who's European. I'm going to just send this notice to everybody. But it was a huge waste, a huge waste. It's completely ridiculous. Now, I want to get into what the nitty gritty of the actual regulation is, meaning what the the companies are required to uphold and et cetera, et cetera. But first, I want to, I want to ask, I mean, isn't this, the, the European Union has a lot of power. You're saying they have the power to take 4% of their, of their uh, annual revenue Uh, as a penalty. I mean, isn't this kind of like a mafia shakedown? I mean, why should they have the power to tell a company what it can and cannot do? Well, you know, 
this was an attempt to put the kinds of penalties that are in place for antitrust laws. If you remember years ago when Microsoft uh, was taking, you know, hard action and requiring that you use Internet Explorer, making it hard to put on Netscape, it was accused of acting uh, uh, in Unfairly. a way that was monopolistic. Those sorts of penalties are the kinds of penalties that are assessed against companies that do monopolistic things. It's not outrageous. That's where they got those numbers from. So you take that seriously, right? You try to buy another company or you, you know, take monopolistic action. The regulator, the antitrust regulator comes in and says, yeah, you owe us a billion dollars because you actually, uh, you know, caused great harm to many consumers. So this is what they're basing this off of. Now, look, they're looking at the global platforms, right? I mean, they're not going to be doling out 4% of global revenues. They want to have a stick big enough to affect Google, Amazon, Facebook. Um, there's a lot of tension between the Europeans who feel that they've lost the battle of platforms to U.S. companies. And they wake up every day and they use Google and they use Amazon and they use Facebook and they resent the fact that global tech giants, the GAFA companies, they sometimes call them, um, dominate those sectors. And so they want really? to be taken seriously. And they think, you know, when they say to Facebook, hey, you got to follow our laws. And by the way, we can fine you a billion dollars. They understand that a small fine is not likely to, you know, deter the biggest companies. And that's what they've given themselves, a very, very big stick. Now, the challenge is it applies to everybody. And so um, many of the smaller companies um, don't have the sophistication. There are hundreds and hundreds of lawyers at Microsoft, at Google, at Facebook, inside the companies, outside the companies. They have spent probably collectively hundreds of millions. So here's the odd thing. The companies who this law was aimed at in large part, they'll manage. They're making changes, but they've got the capacity and the resources to do what needs to be done. It's a lot of the small and medium businesses who are like, wait, um, and, and they're, they're making sad mistakes. I saw a small hospital chain the other day in Europe saying, uh, we have people who signed up to get texts about like their, their uh, prescriptions and, and reminders. Can we still do that? Of course you can still do that. Those people wanted to get texts from you. You can continue sending them, but they're reading the law. It's very complicated. Uh, there's not good advice uh, out there, and people right. are doing silly things like spamming all their customers saying, if you don't respond, I won't send you an email anymore. Wait, I asked for this email. What do you mean you won't send it to me anymore? I, gotta, I have to resubscribe isn't to everything? Isn't that the problem with these kind of regulations that you terrify businesses into you know conducting normal day-to-day -day business? Like... I'm I'm not sure I understand still where the European Union, uh, I don't know, gets off saying, you know, we can uh, enforce uh, companies to abide by. I mean, shouldn't come. They have regulations. No, but I'm saying shouldn't a company be allowed to uh, collect what data, meaning users should be should be should should uh, act and behave in, in an intelligent way. And if they don't, then they, you know, suffer the consequences. You should give what information you want to give. And and the and the the company should regulate itself. Well, let me defend. I, I do think okay. that there are places where the law has a heavy burden on small businesses, and I do think that there are places where it should have been more flexible. However, look, we live in a world today where you can't really say no, right? I mean, who has the time to read every one of these policies? And do I actually really have a choice, or do I even understand what happens when Fitbit has my data? Let's just take a, any and of the, what data do they have in the first place? So. Many people don't think very deeply. Oh, it has my steps, right? So Fitbit knows when you're having sex, right? Because Facebook knows? Fitbit. Ah, Fitbit. Or any of, the, okay. any, of, any of the fitness apps, right? That people use to count their steps. Why? Because years ago, 
when you had these apps, they counted your steps. So you did some yoga, you rode a bike, but your, your legs and arms weren't, you know, swinging and say zero calories. So they've done a lot of work to analyze the algorithms. So right. you, you ride a bike and your wrists just move a little bit. They, they've interpret that. So they know how often and how long and how vigorous your sexual activity is. Unless I'm how? just, I'm, unless I'm just lying on the bed passive then i beat the system yeah then they may know that you're dead and that <laughs> someone should send an ambulance because maybe you you know fell down um they may know that you're coming down with parkinson's i but mean just what, think what, about how do they i don't understand how they know this the phone unless your your phone is on it's you not the phone it's, it's your, the, your the, smartwatch the unique ah. right it's it's judging how you're moving how is your arm swinging how is your body right. moving that's right? the technology it's a band basically right that, that tracks your okay. movement exactly it knows where it is, right? And, and in a good way, it's... Do and frankly, that's maybe not a bad thing. There are now uh, health-related apps that Apple's smartwatch, you know, has built where for medical purposes, people are actually saying, well, yeah, sure, I would like to... Uh, you can detect that I'm coming down with, uh, you know, a disease. Um, uh, Microsoft Bing showed recently that based on the way you move your cursor, you know, when you click on things, if some tremors are coming in your hand, even micro, you don't even know yet that this is coming, that they can predict in advance of people knowing and being uh, uh, advised that there's something, uh, you know, wrong with them. Go check, now, check yourself. Now, what's the morals of doing something like that? Another study came out. Um, people sometimes search for symptoms, like pancreatic cancer is a very dangerous cancer. Right. People don't have obvious symptoms. My father died of pancreatic cancer. You don't know, and then you find it. It's very late, and it's obviously very, very fatal. So it turns out that people sometimes are searching for like a few things together, right? Maybe one day, oh, I have back pain. What's causing my back pain? And oh, they're causing, I have some this, I have some this, right? These are symptoms that in association are possible predictors. Now, so the company has this data, right? It has the searches you've done and it's possible to do this analysis. But can you imagine if you're searching one day and then all of a sudden there's a pop-up like from, you know, being saying, hey, based on your last, uh, you know, months of searches, we think you could be at risk for some serious medical conditions. We advise you seek medical attention. You'd be like, hey, what? What the hell's going on? How do you know? But on the other hand, well, it could save some lives, right? So yeah. what's really interesting about data today, and I think this is what GDPR and, and frankly, regulations around the world are, are getting at. It's not just about sending you that email, right? Who cares? It's some spam. It's not spam. I mean, you know, we care, but mm -hmm. it's, it's not going to change the world. Today, we're talking about issues like uh, your car. The new cars have a lot of technology in them. Some of them know and advise you you're looking away from the road for two seconds, three seconds. Mm -hmm. Hey, that's very good, right? It's reminding you. Um, uh, in countries around the world, there are efforts to create vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication. So your car knows that a car ahead is, is stopping, is skidding. Uh, information about uh, how you're driving is available. There are already places where you can so get... So where's the downside? I mean, how, what, like, let's say, I don't know, let's take any of these examples, looking away from the road for a second, or the the cursor on the thing and Bing telling you you might, I don't know, be, be coming down with because something. Because you don't want them to know if you're having sex or not, especially well, well, if, you're not? Not, if you're not. So every one of these has possible fabulous purposes, right? Safer cars, better health care, but every one of them also has an Orwellian possible misuse. Maybe you won't get insurance um, because we'll know things about you. Is it really your business? Maybe we'll know you eat pizza too often, so you won't get um, you know health insurance in in companies in countries where uh, you know people have to go to the market. What's the boundary? 
Today, in many places, you speed, so a cop gives you a ticket, you can get higher insurance, maybe a speed camera can catch you. But what if your car starts penalizing you for driving inappropriately? Well, this would be very good for society, right? We'll save lives, we'll give you a little shock, or maybe just send you a penalty, you drove a little bit too fast, or hey, you were looking away too often in the back seat. But do we want to live in a world, even if it's going to be for our benefit, even if we're going to save lives, do we want to live in a world where big brother or big company or big corporate or big government is surveilling us to keep the world safe, right? That's the danger. But, but do we not improve at all? So how to get that boundary, those ethical issues are what are keeping many of the companies. But do we trust the state or the yeah. EU to be those who protect us or rather they are the enemy. Isn't maybe that the Orwellian future we're talking about? So in Europe, people do trust government to That's set the, big the rules from America. for business. And in America, we really, we have strict privacy rules against the government. Yeah. We don't want a national ID in the US. In some countries in Europe, how much you make is publicly available. They file everybody's uh, information, right? In the US, whoa, you, how much I make, right? In Germany, people are easily naked in saunas and in public pools, right? In other countries. They should like, actually import that to, to the US, right? I think. <laughs> so the, the notion that uh, the government will keep the world safe for you is what Europeans are comfortable with. And in the US, we're a little bit more comfortable that companies are gonna make decisions and maybe we should look out for ourselves but the reality is there's a lot of pressure. And, so and if we look at Facebook, for example, what Facebook knew and collected on me before the new regulations and what now they're collecting on me? So the key issues that the GDPR presses on companies like Facebook, um, in some places, they'll still collect everything they collect, but they now actually have to spell it out in a very specific way. In the past, if you read the privacy policies at some of these companies, well, we use it for analysis and marketing and research and blah, blah, blah. Okay, wait, what's going on? So they now actually have to spell out, here's everything we collect, and now you can actually take a look, and they'll show you now, oh, we know all these things about you. You can clear them, you can delete them. I went into mine, and I like cleared everything, and I just put different kinds of scotch. So now my ads are all like wine and scotch, <laughs> but... A lot of people go in and they're like, oh my God, wow, this is a really interesting, deep amount of information they don't know about me. Some people don't like it. They like to fix it. They think I'm female because I'm going to tech sites. Wait, that's wrong. I want to fix that. That's that's not a good you know, interpretation. So you have much more transparency. Um, you have the right to object. Um, you have the right to uh, force them to delete your information. And here's what's new. You can take your information from one company and move it to another, right? The Europeans really want to create competition, right? They don't want the big platforms to be the only ones with all the data. So the new rules, and let's see if anybody uses it, will let you not only download all your data, but who needs like 10 years of my Facebook likes? Like, what am I going to do with that? Store up it on my computer? You now will be able to move it. So let's say I'm an entrepreneur, right? Anywhere in the world. I say, oh, wait, I have some new business, but I don't have a lot of data. You can say to people, hey, click and go to Google, go to Facebook, go to Amazon, download everything they have about you and import it into sounds like a, my service. Sounds like a new startup idea. <laughs> That's to what collect they're like. the people's information to say, you know, I'll be the broker. Yeah, well, Give, send me all your info and I'll and, pass and, it on. And indeed, there are companies looking to do that. But here's what I predict. The odds are, are you going to actually go collect all your data and give it to some startup? The odds are the big companies that already have your data. Amazon already knows me so well, right? 
they predict, they already understand what I'm going to be buying because I've been buying it for years. I'm more likely to give them more data. Hey, let us do an even better job recommending everything you want. Click here and we'll take the data from here, from here, from here. So I'm not sure the strategy the Europeans had um, is actually going to work out, but we'll see. So that's a nice right, right? It's your data. Now you can take it with you. People mm -hmm. like that. Which also leads to the question, if it's so, I don't know, it became such a product, then why... Do, does anyone need to care about his privacy in the first place? Look, we all care. We care in different ways, right? Maybe someone's like, hey, I'm a, I am have nothing to hide. You know what? Mm, no, you do. We don't want to discuss maybe our income. We don't maybe want to discuss the size of our different body parts. Uh, we don't want to... No, no, <laughs> My you know, thumb is bigger than yours. Right? We all have That's places where, <laughs> you know... Uh, you know, listen, yeah. can I look at your last uh, searches on Google? Like, um, no, right? Yeah. Like, we all care about our privacy. And so uh, getting those boundaries right, right? Nobody wants to hide on an but island. But we know that that it, it's done. I mean, I, I know that I have a Chinese phone. I know they're listening and they're watching us right now. Say hello to our Chinese friends. And uh, Google, I know they're tracing everything and so i already it's it's a lost battle for gdpr me. tries to put the data data genie back in the bottle by giving you for the first time really serious rights to say to companies delete 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 i don't want you to have that about me in the past well maybe they would delete and maybe they're not you now can go to again if you're european you now can go to google to facebook to amazon to any company you deal with and say, delete it. Now, listen, if they have to have it, for instance, hey, you're paying me for some service. What do you mean? I can't delete it and I can't give you the service, right? Oh, I need this for like tax purposes. But otherwise, you have the right to delete yourself from these big corporations so that we don't end up in an Orwellian world where those companies will have everything about you and advertise to you and do, you know, surreptitious things. Listen, um, if uh, you have a Alexa, if you have a smart home device, right? Or even your phone is, if you have it set that Siri works or your TV is set to be controlled by They're voice. They're listening all the time. There's devices in your home. Most of them are set to only listen for the wake word and not actually send any data until you wake them up. But you've got microphones in your home now, right? Yeah. What should the rules be? Isn't it nice that there's at least some privacy law that they can't be taking that data and maybe selling it to who knows who without your express permission. The GDPR gives you that right. You may not have that right in the US if the privacy policy in the US or in other places says, and you didn't read it, but it says, hey, we go monetize this data and blah, blah, blah. And you know, you accept, you accept it, you're good. GDPR says, no, 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 no. If you're doing something surprising like that, something very significant with sensitive data, like what I'm doing in my house, I have to specifically agree, click, 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 and you have the right to say, delete it. So there's yeah. some real value to that in this world. There's uh, Shazam, which we all know, uh, identifies the song that you're listening to, has a setting on it which you can put, which is constant Shazam. And then you can basically ask it, what's that song I listened to 10 minutes ago? So basically, mm -hmm. it is always listening to what's going on. And by the way, it's keeping track of which commercials are being played on TV, many of these apps. Because that's what the marketers want to know. Hey, what are you listening to? Or did you see my commercial? Did you see my ad? Uh -huh. And so, you know, it's very often not the main purpose that we have an, a, an issue with. Hey, Sir Shazam, I want you to be able to help me with music. Hey, Waze, Maps, right? I want you to help me there, right? We get it. It's a fair deal. Even if yeah. they make some money on it, we get it. 
what ends up happening with a lot of these apps where they ask you, can I have your location, please, to help you, you know, find the local cash machine to navigate, right? You're like, yeah, sure. If you read the privacy policy, you may find it also then says, oh, and we sell your location on third-party data ad exchanges in order to analyze and target and, and uh, no. Some people say, hey, that's no problem. You're giving me some different ads. But others say, wait, wait a second. You told me here you want my location to help me with this nice uh, service. I didn't understand that you're selling it and brokering it and trading it with 100 different companies. Mm -hmm. Whoa, how about that? Again, so GDPR says, no, 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 can't hide that. But, but uh, sorry, but uh. if Google col collects information illegally about me, and they keep it in-house. Let's say they don't try and sell it. They just collect it for their personal use. Um, how could Europe even ever know about it? They can if, never know about it. If they collect it legally. Now, Europe says it's against the law to collect information, illegal to collect personal information, unless... You have one of six reasons. Otherwise, by default, it is illegal. But they can't know if it's in-house. They might never know about it, right? Today, there's very little secrets. And um, people are analyzing these technologies. They're looking at the packets. Whistleblowers. There are employees that are talking. So it's very risky. And companies like Google or the others right. are not looking to have secret. You know, these things all end up coming out. Yeah. Um, what are the six, uh, the six reasons? So... Three are interesting. The other three, if I'm a company, are not so interesting. Like the law requires me to collect it, right? If I'm a government institution and so forth. So the three that are interesting for companies, uh, one is with the very clear permission of the user. Okay, so that makes sense. Ask nicely. Tell me exactly what you're doing. And that's a good basis. Right. But that's hard to get. That's right? the pop-ups we all had to press Those are the in order to continue. But yeah. there are two other bases. One is there's a contract. You like sign an agreement, click here and I accept it. But that's only for exactly what you need to run the service. So that's not so useful for people that are looking to do funky things, but for people that are looking to do something basic. Hey, you're selling me something. You need my email to deliver, to send me the product, right? Then here's the really interesting one. It's called legitimate interest. You have a nice interest in doing it that's not illegal and it's not sensitive data. And you're taking some precautions. Uh, you're not taking too much. And maybe if there's some concerns, you're doing something to protect it. You're maybe de-identifying the data. So general marketing, um, reasonable activities, like maybe analyzing my your data so I can improve my product and so forth. I don't need to ask you permission. I can do that, but I have to do a lot of work. I have to literally write down on paper so I can show it if the regulator comes and says, hey, you're not asking people for that, but I see you're doing it. What's your basis? You have a contract? No. Legitimate interest? Oh, yeah. Show me your work. So there's a lot of documentation. It has created, young people, you want a career? Data protection officer. Almost every company that does business in Europe has to hire a new role, a data protection officer, who has to be independent so that he can say to the company, hey, you can do this, you can't do that. It's kind of a legal advice. advisor. A lot of them are legal. Some of them are, you know, maybe technical or information governance people, but even small companies. Now, you can have a lawyer outside do it, but it's a significant new obligation. So there are thousands of people now saying, wow, wait, I'll do a data protection officer and trying to get up to speed. Um, and uh, there's, there's a huge demand because, you know, thousands and thousands have to be hired all across Europe or any company in the world that actually is doing business in Europe and has servers and so forth has now this obligation. 
So I'm wondering, because you mentioned earlier that uh, a lot of the small to medium-sized businesses might have trouble understanding this legislation. And I'm wondering also, I mean, I know that in France, the labor laws, for example, are so uh, uh, cumbersome that a lot of the times companies can't even, even get started. But I'm wondering if this might have the opposite effect, because one of the... Uh, uh, agendas that you said of, of the of the regulation was to kind of help out the small to medium-sized businesses compete against these large corporations and i wonder if by drowning them in regulation you see if it might you think it might have the opposite effect or so the regular say the regulators say hey it's not so complicated a lot of this was always already the law you're now just waking up to it because mm -hmm. we have these big penalties so wait a second you should have always been doing this number one Number two, they say, you know what? We're not going to throw a ton of bricks at some small business who's doing something reasonable, sending a text to the people who wanted it. When you really do something harmful or offensive, we're going to shut you down. You want us to, to do that mm -hmm. because then your competitors don't get to do nasty things and you know, you're the one who's playing it on us. Big companies, global tech, yeah, you have to fix your business model. For instance, third-party ad tech. Right? A big issue for a lot of the regulators was you go to a website and there can be 100 or 150 different third parties in the background taking, analyzing, sharing, trading, and putting a stock market uh, around your data. Well, now those companies have to be listed. If you actually click into those annoying pop-ups, what you'll see is listings of 100, 150 companies that are getting your data, and you'll be given a choice. Now, again, most people, okay, fine, just give me the pop-up, right? But people who care enough now can see and actually understand, wait, there's 150 different companies getting my data and trading it and sharing it. You know what? Maybe I'm not so interested, or maybe I will opt out of that. So that's what's been accomplished. So yes, that is cumbersome, but that was their goal to say, we're not so cool with the way this developed and we want to sort of push back. Here's where there are going to be interesting issues though, right? AI, everybody's excited about artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, that's uh, I think the CEO of Google said this is like the next electricity, right? Like that's how profound it's going to be. And all of the big companies and lots of startups in Israel and startups in the U.S. and around the world are doing some real work, trying to understand how to improve. And we already see, you know, magnificent improvements. Um, uh, if you use uh, Google Translate, for instance, it used to be like you translated it, it was gobbledygook, right? Today, you talk and instantly, right, it reads back to you, in, in pretty good translation, any language to any language, right? Not just English to this, right? Chinese to Hindu, I mean, you name it. Yiddish. It's to Yiddish. It's Romanian. And, and, and Yiddish with, to anything is super complicated. <laughs> right? yeah. And without any, I wonder if it does do Yiddish. I got to check on that. Um, and without any translators or experts, right? It just learned on its own how to do this. So we're seeing, and, and I drove in a self-driving Uber uh, a couple of months ago. Really? And it was incredible. It felt complete. It felt like driving with my grandfather, very slow, <laughs> very careful. So it was a little bit like, you know, come on, speed up a little bit. There's, there's no traffic here, right? But it, it doesn't. It follows the rules. So it can be a little, you know, frustrating. But you feel completely safe because they show you as you're sitting in the uh, vehicle how it sees everything, right? I'm looking around. Yeah, I see like a car there. But you look at like a sort of an iPad that they have displayed in the back seat. And you're like, oh my God, it's like seeing all these cars and people live and it's anticipating <laughs> the direction they're going. And it, you know, in the half an hour, 45 minutes I was driving around, there were like two times where the guy who was, you know, sitting in the front, like took the wheel two times. One, it was waiting to make a turn 
and it was like wants to be really safe so you know you're like wait hey i can make a turn like there's no cars coming yeah there's one guy like you know a few hundred feet away but it waits and waits because it wants to be super safe so he took the wheel because he said hey people behind us are going to be upset like what's this car like sitting yeah. here right and, and honk so i don't want to be rude right the car um, doesn't honk back <laughs> it's like hey and, screw you and the second time was we were driving and there was a truck parked and there was a driver he had the door open and he was like drinking coffee and talking to his friend right but in this road in the road there was plenty of room like i saw him hey he's talking just continue driving right but the car saw somebody standing in the street facing like maybe he's gonna walk it didn't be like oh he's got coffee he's talking they're having a chat right it thought maybe they're like gonna cross so it like stopped it didn't know what to do so the guy had to, so we see how machine learning, which requires a huge amount of data, and it's data that was not collected for the first purpose. It was data collected for all kinds of different reasons that is now being used for a secondary purpose. In so, my imagination, the AI would need to sign. <laughs> uh, I don't know. To use your information. Yeah, he would need to sign. He's, oh, he's obligated to not violate any rules. Well, the Europeans want to win in AI, right? They, they feel they lost when it came to the big platforms, and they believe AI is the next big thing. And so they look at China and they say, well, that's going to be immoral AI because they're going to be, you know, using everyone's data in unfair ways. They don't have the right uh, values. And the U.S., it's going to be the Wild West. Uh, it will be discriminating against you so companies can like, get an advantage. But we, the Europeans, with trusted laws, we are going to create trusted ai now here you have this gdpr which is going to be a little bit difficult to reconcile in some places with the uh you know great desires of data that companies want in order to do ai and then gdpr has data minimization when you collect the data you have to specify the purpose well that's very different than machine learning where it's like suck up everything possible and then you know let the data learn and use algorithms that build and who knows what i'll learn from the data so that's going to be uh, interesting yeah. and exciting i wonder if there's any element of like uh i don't know that humans are just scared of scientific progression so we put all these these uh these um obstacles obstacles in our own way it's like you mentioned the ai there was that, that the crash in arizona right or new mexico where a woman died and everybody was like oh no that's it smart cars off the off the street but it's like people are bound to die i mean we kill humans millions of people on the streets every day from human error someone's gonna die from a smart driving car that's just part of the process and we i don't know we like get easily frightened well self-driving cars are moving ahead right i mean the regulators get it people do get nervous right you ask them would you go in a self-driving car oh i don't know right because they haven't <laughs> tried it they haven't seen it yeah there's a lot of Last year was the first year where there were zero uh, fatalities in commercial airlines, right? If you, uh, you maybe were on a small plane or something, but if you bought a ticket and you flew on a major commercial airline last year, there were zero fatalities, which is phenomenal, right? But it's because of the incredible amount of technology that's in those planes now. They're aware of each other. They're aware of the ground, the speed, the weather, all sorts of things. And, you know, it's still complicated to fly, you know, a real big jet, but we've built in so much technology that these are self-driving, you know, machines uh, up in the air. So uh, these are moving forward. And look, I think it's fair to think about, are we creating um, uh, weapons that can better target? Just think about it for war, right? Uh, how great if we don't put humans at risk and how we are more accurate perhaps in the selection of targets but start putting AI in missiles and in, 
you know, uh, aircraft and in drones. And there's something very scary and inhuman about machines of war. If we don't do it, are the Chinese or other Russians, you know, going to have sophisticated, you know, killer, killer robots? It's, it's no longer science fiction to think about these things. Google had a very big, you know, issue in the news recently because employees learned that Google was doing some work for the Department of Defense. And they said, we don't want to be part of that. We don't want to be building technology for war. And so Google said, okay, wait, this is something our employees think is, is ethical. We're not going to do it. But lots of companies obviously will, defense contractors and foreign governments. And so these are what's interesting for me, having now worked in privacy for 20 years. In the beginning, it really was eh, cookies are tracking you and email and so forth. And now the questions we deal with are, what's the ethics of using data to um, in a military situation and can we ethically not or how do you do it in a responsible way if a self-driving car is driving and it has to make a decision put you in the ditch run over you know this person crash into the school bus how do we want it making how do you make these how decisions? do we want to regulate that <laughs> right we, we clearly want to regulate it because we don't want you know unethical um, decisions. We regulate everything about cars, right? They have to be safe. When is it safe enough? Someone's going to have to say it's okay to let this thing be on the road. Um, there are all kinds of people with disabilities. There are poor people who don't live near public transportation where, you know, a self-driving Uber going back and forth, taking everybody to the local bus. Um, but these issues do need societal rules. And maybe it's a law. We do a lot of best practices and codes of conduct. We work with companies because these are hard questions. We have a group of the direct-to-consumer genetics companies where you send away your DNA and they send your reports back, right? This is very sensitive information. Not only do I learn data about you and what illnesses or your future or all kinds of things about you, but also about all your family and all your relatives. And so what should the rules be? Very often this is not covered by the medical privacy rules because you're just buying it yourself. It's not happening in a doctor-patient relationship. It's not covered in the U.S. by the health privacy law. But clearly the companies get that you don't want to be selling this data or using it in, you know, shall I market to you based on what I learn in your DNA? Oh, you know, in the morning you're hungry for, you know, such and such things, so I should send you such offers. So we get the companies to voluntarily agree to firm commitments that are enforceable by regulators because if a company makes a specific commitment, for instance, in the U.S., the Federal Trade Commission, other countries, the consumer regulators around the world, if a company says, this is what I do, and then you depart from that, you've defrauded people. So we encourage companies and we come up with codes of conduct and best practices and rules. And that can be a better way to do this before we lock in a law, which it's hard to change and might have unintended consequences. So we say, you guys, you don't want a law? Do you have the answer? Like, what are the right rules? If we can figure it out ourselves, then maybe we can set a model. And if there's a law, maybe it comes along and it matches what we did. So, you, if, a yeah. Yeah, no, no. so if a company wants to... Uh, get your assistance, they can they can uh, talk to you. So we're an independent organization. Uh, half of our funding comes from foundations that want to see data used in valuable ways for society, the Gates Foundation, the National Science Foundation. Half of our funding comes from the chief privacy officers of companies. That's sort of my peer group, people that we work with around the world. And we convene them, and we choose projects that we think are important, that... Mm -hmm. that regulators care about that government cares about so you work with big companies basically we work with startups uh, in israel we started a division called the uh, israel tech policy institute where we're pulling together startups and saying yeah i know you're a startup and you think maybe this is like something you don't have time for but you're doing ai so if your data 
is discriminatory, no one's going to want to buy it. Hey, you're doing mobility. You're doing you know technology that's going to be in uh, autonomous vehicles or drones. You can't outsource that to the big guy. You can't wait until your lawyer in you know New York. You need to have this in your DNA today. So all size. The, the startups are the funnest to work with because once they get that it's important, they're like, great, we'll do it. We'll do it tomorrow. You talk to a big company. Uh, I'll give you an example of something we're working on right now. If you've rented a car recently, you might have seen the data from the people behind you who rented the car before you still in the car, right? You sync your phone sometimes. So your music, your contacts, mm, right? Yeah. The car lets you make phone calls through the dashboard, right? And so many of the new vehicles, and certainly there are a lot of the newer rental cars, you sync your iPhone, you sync your Android device, and then you give your car back, and the next person gets the car, and there's your contacts, and there's your music list, and all that. So we say to the rental companies, come on, guys, like, this is going to be a problem, right? Someone's going to, uh, you know, do something uh, problematic. Can't you clear it out? And they say, oh, we have like seven minutes to clean the car. Now you want us to spend 15 minutes like going into the infotainment system. And by the way, each model is different. It's too complicated. Give us a button. If there's a button, we'll tell the people who do it, right? So we go to the big auto companies and we say, listen, can you give us a button? They're like, a button? We're like not even, in, <laughs> we're not even in the car business anymore, right? I mean, you know, comp auto companies plan five, six, seven years down the road, right? They got to be, you talk to Ford, I'm not in the car business. I'm in the autonomous vehicles and drones and transportation systems. And by the way, I don't even make that part that's done by the tier one supplier and so on and so forth, right? So I said, okay, we got to figure out a way to fix this. So we convene. And we're like, this is a stupid problem. I get that it's a technical hassle, but if we don't fix it, consumers are going to be unhappy. And what you want to do, which is be trusted, that the data about your future mobility, right? The people who design these things don't believe will be buying cars. In the US, the number of people buying cars keeps dropping. My teenage son, he's, he's going to get his license. But when I was a kid, yeah, you needed your license. Like that was like freedom. And when would you get your first car, right? He's been taking Ubers, you know, for like years and yeah, he's going to get his license, but it's not this like, that's the first priority in my life. And so uh -huh. younger people are looking to public transportation. They're using, you know, all kinds of different models, right? Motorized scooters, this, that. So, so the belief is that in the future, there'll be, you know, you'll have a subscription and there'll be many ways. Maybe you'll take a self-driving shuttle to the, the, um, the, 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 the metro. Um, maybe the metro will come to you, right? Why is it that it runs the same way like all day long? The needs are different, right? Well, mm -hmm. do we know this? Well, we don't you... know what metro is here in Israel. So right? Bus, transportation, right? right? Public systems. Why are they so inflexible, right? Why are they not? Li that's what Lyft does. So today we have this line. You have a Lyft or you have the public transportation. Where's the in-between, right? Where's the public transportation that uses the sort of technology of, hey, someone needs a ride, a lot of people need a ride. Okay, the bus is now going to go in that direction and adapt and help. So the company Lyft, you, you know them. Yeah, very of well. So yeah. that's what they do, I think. They took the... Exactly. It's, the, it's exactly what they did. All of say like these... a public Lyft. Like a... Like a like not a public owned by a private company. That's like doing Lyft I style The so future of transportation is that the system, which might be private, Would might adjust. be commercial will adjust to get you where, and we all have different needs. Maybe somebody's disabled. Maybe somebody, hey, I want a private air-conditioned car. I'll pay, so it's going to take me, someone right. else, right? So the belief is that as soon as the rules are flexible enough and we can adjust, the smart city of the future 
will adapt more flexibly to my needs. And you're but saying in that future, privacy is... In that future, data is critical, and I need to trust that whoever has it, the company, the city, the municipality, is not at the same time that they're serving me better, right? Understanding my power usage, uh, understanding, I mean, we work with um, mayors uh, and city leaders uh, across the world who are interested in how can I use technology to better serve the citizen, right? To personalize services, right? Personalize services, that's like a crazy idea, right? You go wait online. No, why can't we do more, not just put services online? Why can't we tailor things to you better, right? Let you manage your power in a more efficient way, uh, all the, uh, adjust your transportation. But that depends on being very trusting that all of these city would like to track your phone. I wanna know, if I wanna understand what your transportation is like, I've got to study right now, what do I do? I click, 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 I count the number of cars. I don't really know where people are starting, where they're ending, right? If I wanted to fix the transportation system, I just know there's crowds, right? Do I know? No, these people are getting dropped off with a carpool and these people are here. And then this guy, he works here, but he then goes to his gym, right? Well, that's all available today with all these different apps. And so mayors want to be trusted. Vendors who are providing these services, the Uber, the Lyft, the, the transport, but I've got to have some very responsible rules to make sure that I'm not discriminating against you. I'm not making that available to somebody who's checking up on their boyfriend, on their girlfriend, um, that I'm not going to deny you different benefits based on the information that I now know about you. So it's really more about ethics. We had a philosopher who did his sabbatical year with us a couple of years ago, because these issues really are, you know, issues of society, power. Who do you trust? The Europeans, maybe they're trusting government. The U.S., different balances. So it's really become a very exciting world. So, uh, Jules, you're uh, on Twitter, Facebook. Where, where, where can people find you? Where can't they? Um, Jules mm -hmm. Polonetsky on Twitter, Future of Privacy Forum on Twitter, um, you know, my biggest outlet, amazingly, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm a LinkedIn influencer, so I have 300, 350,000 um, wow. people following my content there. And I find that uh, maybe because it's like a professional world or maybe the privacy people are like comfortable being on LinkedIn because it has a certain hmm. environment. Um, but uh, that's where I'm usually uh, opining and uh, sharing uh, some of the excitement and challenges and sometimes stresses of the future of data. Cool. And uh, let's just thank Omer, right? who connected us, uh, a listener of this podcast, Omer Tene, right? One of our senior fellows, Omer yes. Tene, uh, who uh, uh, works uh, both for the International Association of Privacy Professionals that represents all those uh, people that are joining uh, companies to be privacy, uh, and even governments are now having these privacy professionals uh, and also works as a right. senior fellow. And he listens to the podcast, apparently, and he he's told us... He's a big fan. He's a big fan. <laughs> he said he's you. even thinking a little bit about Netanyahu after, a little bit differently, after listening wow. to that last podcast. I think he still has his concerns, but uh, it was uh, I, I think really that, uh, thoughtful. That's our biggest uh, achievement. That, I think that Anshel Pfeffer was actually hoping for the exact opposite, but, <laughs> but uh, thank you, Omer, and and before we, uh, before we go, we have a collaboration with the Jewish Journal. Have you heard of them? Sure. I'm sure you have. The Jewish Journal, uh, so they're a news source out in L.A., Jewish News, World News. Da David Suisa, Ben Shapiro writes uh, columns for them uh, occasionally. So check them out, jewishjournal.com. And we also accept donations. So uh, if you guys feel like helping us out, go to 2ngb.com slash donate and throw some money at us and also or you if just you have, place it there uh, if you have uh, like 
ideas for other guests who pass by Israel, please tell us and you can write to us on Facebook and tell us what you think about the podcast and that's it. Thank you so much, uh, Jules. Uh, you came here for a conference and uh, hopefully it was fruitful and now you go for to see Israel a bit a little bit and travel. We came here to launch the Israel Tech Policy Institute, so we'll be here a lot working with companies and the regulators. You know, Israel has a tough privacy law as well, so not just the GDPR. Uh, and so it'll be an exciting uh, time. Israel actually is adequate under the Europeans, so they're allowed to send data back and forth. But the Europeans are looking now at the new law to see if Israel continues to be adequate. So lots of uh, activity for us uh, in the country. Awesome. Thank you, Jules. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. Bye.